Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 3711. All right, this is episode number 40 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, December 7th. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I get to today's news, I want to tell you about a personal journey I've been on for 13 years and how, by the grace of God, I discovered the best-kept secret in American health care. I have hoped and prayed for years for the opportunity to share this on a national stage, and I'm thankful the Lord has opened the door for me to do so. Back in 2008, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, selling radio commercials. That's where I met a doctor who taught me about a crucial part of health care that most of us have never heard of. Okay, here goes. Your skull weighs somewhere between 8 and 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1 bone, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, it can cause your spinal column to get kinked up like a chain. So that can lead to big problems because that's where your central nervous system is located. If your spinal column gets kinked up, it can cause your central nervous system to be unable to send impulses to the rest of your body as God designed it to do. So you need to find out if you need an upper cervical care doctor. They're the doctors who take x-rays of your head and neck to see if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they're the doctors who will adjust your atlas to get it back in alignment and you feel better. At the time I found out about this over 13 years ago, I was a single dad and my mom was helping me raise my six children. So I went home and told her about this doctor I met who adjusts people's atlases and about the results he was getting. She said, Doc, you have to take your son, Steve. He's only 13 years old, and I'm afraid he's developing scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He can't sit up straight. He can't stand up straight. And he has migraines all the time. So I took Steve. He got his atlas adjusted, and immediately he sat up straight, and he stood up straight. After his third adjustment, the migraines went away for good. Then my mom told me, Doc, look at yourself in the mirror. Your shoulders are off balance, and you have bad headaches all the time. I think you need to get your atlas adjusted. So I did, and the migraines went away. But I also realized that I had been suffering through a low-grade but consistent head and neck ache caused by several automobile accidents I had been in over the past 20 years. So that consistent low-grade head and neck ache went away immediately, and I instantly realized I had been walking around in a fog for several years. Getting my atlas adjusted was like coming up out of the ether. But what really surprised me was when springtime came around, And for the first time I could remember, I didn't have hay fever. Well, that was quite a shock because I had had really bad hay fever every spring going all the way back to my school days. Folks who have their atlases adjusted have reported success with not just migraines, not just allergies, but fibromyalgia, acid reflux, and even eczema. 
It's all about adjusting the atlas to remove the obstruction that keeps your central nervous system from sending impulses to different parts of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I've been under this kind of care for over 13 years in three different states. I think I would probably be in a wheelchair by now if I hadn't found out about getting my atlas adjusted. My wife and I know many people this has helped. If you're wondering if you need to get your atlas adjusted, look in the mirror or look at a picture of yourself. Do your eyes look off balance? Do your shoulders look off balance? Do you naturally tilt your head to one side or the other? When you sit on the sofa, are you most comfortable leaning one way or the other? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you'd like to get a free consultation with a doctor near you who adjusts atlases, go to the website TurnMyPowerOn.com. We link to it on our website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, that having been said, I want to start off. We got about, um, I think, a minute and a half of Tucker Carlson last night with an attorney named Joseph McBride. Now, Attorney McBride is representing several January 6th detainees, including a fellow named uh, Richard Barnett, nicknamed Big O, who unfortunately went into the Capitol on January 6th Unfortunately, walked into Nancy Pelosi's office and at the uh, urging of the media there, put his feet up on her desk. And so they want to throw the book at him and I'm sure put him away for many years while they let uh, actual violent criminals go. Okay. And never forget the name Ray Epps. Ray Epps, before we get to this this clip of uh, Tucker Carlson and Attorney Joseph McBride, a lot of video of Ray Epps, a guy who is a big honcho with Oath Keepers out of Arizona, the night before January 6th and even the morning of January 6th, saying, we've got to get into the Capitol, got to get into the Capitol. That's the important thing. Got to send a message to these people. And the night before, people around him started yelling at him, fed, 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 because they know. They know this guy's a fed. Ray Epps, as much or more of an instigator of people getting into the Capitol on January 6th than anybody else, the feds know who he is, the feds know where he is, and the feds the feds absolutely refuse to indict him. There's a lot of evidence out there that January 6th was a setup by the feds. A lot of evidence out there that the so-called kidnapping plot, the plot to... Uh, kidnapped the governor of Michigan a few months earlier, which was almost entirely FBI agents and or assets, was kind of a uh, a dry run for what they did at the Capitol on January 6th. Just so you know, 
Now, if you haven't heard that anywhere, and you're just tuning into the Doc Washburn Show for the first time, maybe you're getting your news from the wrong places. There are a lot of things that um, even seemingly conservative outlets don't allow their people to say. It's just, it's not allowed. Now, I'm getting ready to play you a great clip of Tucker Carlson with attorney Joseph McBride representing Big O Barnett and other January 6th detainees. But remember, 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 Tucker is not allowed to even allude to the fact that the election was stolen. And I wasn't either when I still work for corporate media. So I'm thankful that I have this platform. Anyway, uh, Tucker with attorney Joseph McBride last night on Fox. You've seen videotape. The rest of us have not seen that indicates there was quite a bit of violence that they've a lot of violence. They've hidden other forms of violence. When are we going to get to see these tapes and on what grounds are they being withheld from the public? They're being withheld from the public because like the Kennedy assassination, the government does not want us to see the truth about what happened on January 6th. I filed a motion this week asking for the unmasking of, this, of these videos. That motion was joined by the New York Times in a, in a 16, uh, 16 point press conglomerate. They, they signed on and they said, you know what, we want to see the truth about what happened as well. The police brutality that took place inside of that tunnel is objectionable. There was one woman in particular, who was wearing a, a red MAGA hat, who was beaten within an inch of her life. Guess what? She lived, and she is likely at some point going to tell that tale. Roseanne Boylan died at the foot of those steps. Ashley Babbitt was murdered on national TV, and nobody has said nothing. The other side has labeled her an insurrectionist when she yeah. was nothing of the sort, nothing of the kind. The truth is going to come out. They cannot stop it. That is why we are asking for the government and for the judge, quite frankly, to release these tapes and let the chips fall where they may. Let the public and let the media objectively look at the evidence here and make a decision about what really happened that day. The truth is on our side. We are not hiding anything, Tucker. Well, exactly. If you believe in democracy, then you understand the public has a right to know what happens in its name, in its Capitol building, especially if you're going to change America on the basis of that day. Let's find out what happened that day. It's very, very simple. And I appreciate all your efforts to make that come true. I do too. I do too. Now, let's talk about the fact that they don't want you to know what happened on that day. Okay? Let's talk about that. Let me go to Julie Kelly. Um, and her pinned tweet. Now, if you're not on Twitter, you're like, what's that mean? It means when they go to your profile, what do you want them to see at the top of your Twitter profile? What's, what is the tweet you want them to see? And this is from May 11th of this year. She says, what have I told you? Capitol Police has more than 14,000 hours of footage from between noon and 8 p.m. on January 6th. And what have I told you? U.S. Capitol Police 
and the DOJ and federal judges are doing everything in their power to make sure you don't see it. Let's take a look at this. Her article from May 10th of this year, Why is the government hiding January 6th video footage? She says, Joe Biden calls it the worst attack since the Civil War. Attorney General Merrick Garland compares it to the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. The FBI is breaking down the doors of Iraq War veterans and small business owners who have no criminal records. And some are hauled off to rot in solitary confinement in a a fetid D.C. jail for their involvement in the alleged travesty. The event, of course, is the roughly four-hour-long disturbance at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. As mostly nonviolent Americans dared to protest Congress certification of a clearly fraudulent presidential election in a place that was once considered the people's house, lawmakers scurried for cover as reporters and photographers captured part of the ruckus on video and still shots to wield as political ammunition against Donald Trump and his supporters. But have we seen a full and fair depiction of exactly what happened that day? The answer, as evidenced by an ongoing cover-up by the U.S. Capitol Police and the Justice Department, clearly is no. Almost all the January 6th videos seen by the public isn't from official government sources, but by social media users and journalists on the scene. For example, the widely viewed footage of protesters occupying the Senate chamber was recorded by a New Yorker journalist. But thousands of hours of real-time footage is in the hands of the Capitol Police. And that agency, along with government lawyers and federal judges, is using every legal trick possible to keep the trove hidden from the public, even as clips are presented in court as evidence against hundreds of January 6th defendants. According to an affidavit filed in March by Thomas DeBase, pardon me, Thomas DiBiase, the Capitol Police Department's general counsel, the building is monitored 24-7 by an extensive system of cameras positioned both inside and outside the building as well as near other congressional offices on the grounds. The system captured more than 14,000 hours of footage between noon and 8 p.m. on January 6th. The archive was made available to two Democrat-controlled congressional committees, the FBI and the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. After a request by Congress, the agency reportedly handed over footage from the entire 24-hour period. Capitol Police also produced selective clips for Democrat House impeachment managers to use in the trial against Donald Trump. But Capitol Police argue that making all the tapes available to defense attorneys, let alone to the American public, could provoke future violence. Their general counsel, this DiBiase guy, wrote March 17th, the department has significant concerns with the release of any of its footage to defendants in the Capitol attack cases unless there are safeguards 
in place to prevent its copying and dissemination. Our concern is that providing unfettered access to hours of extremely sensitive information to defendants who already have shown a desire to interfere with the democratic process will be passed on to those who might wish to attack the Capitol again. Really? The Justice Department, in numerous cases, is seeking protective orders to rigorously limit how surveillance video is handled by defense attorneys. Recordings have been deemed highly sensitive government material subject to onerous rules. The accused only have access to the evidence in a supervised setting. Clips cannot be copied, downloaded, shared, or reproduced in any fashion. Judge Amit Mehta wrote in a protective order related to the conspiracy case against members of the Oath Keepers, again quoting, defense counsel may not provide a copy of highly sensitive materials to defendant or permit defendant to view such materials unsupervised by defense counsel or an attorney, investigator, paralegal, or support staff person employed by defense counsel. The parties agree that defense counsel or an attorney, investigator, paralegal, or support staff person employed by defense counsel may supervise defendant by allowing access to highly sensitive materials through a cloud-based delivery system that permits defendant to view the materials but does not permit defendant the ability to download, unquote. That sounds legit. But defense attorneys in the media now are fighting the video blackout during a detention hearing in April for the two men accused of spraying Officer Brian Sicknick. Both have been behind bars and denied bail since their arrest in March. Defense lawyers objected to the government's use of cherry-picked video they couldn't see in its full context, which, if examined, might contain exculpatory evidence. Under pressure from a group of media outlets, the government finally released what it claims is the incriminating video showing the chemical spray attack against Sicknick. By the way, it didn't. The choppy video included recordings from several surveillance cameras, a few D.C. police officers, and a bystander. Journalists continue to be frustrated by the Justice Department's suppression tactics. In a plea in early May to Beryl Howell, chief judge of the D.C. District Court handling all the January 6 cases, 14 news organizations asked for better access to video evidence presented in court. Virtual court proceedings further help prosecutors keep the clips under wraps. Lawyers representing CNN, ABC News, Wall Street Journal, and others wrote in a letter on May 3rd, the press and public have not been able to access these videos in the court's electronic dockets. Delayed access to these historic records shuts the public out of an important part of the administration of justice. The lawyers told Judge Howell the government refuses to give a substantive answer as to why the video evidence isn't publicly available and listed several cases where surveillance footage was played in court but not otherwise accessible. The secret video archive of January 6th isn't the only recording under scrutiny. It's also unclear whether Capitol Police kept the footage from January 5th. Police General Counsel... DiBiase said surveillance video is routinely deleted 
after 30 days. Only a very limited number of clips from January 5th were given to the U.S. attorney in D.C., the office handling the massive investigation. It would be very convenient for the Capitol Police, no objective party in this saga since it launched the lie about Sicknick's death, to purge footage from January 5th so defense attorneys and the public cannot see what sort of activity took place the day before the so-called insurrection. So what exactly is the government trying to hide? How can activity inside and outside a public building be considered highly sensitive? In response to Freedom of Information Act, Finally, by Judicial Watch, Capitol Police told the group the recordings are not public records. But, of course, they are. A security system controlled by a federal agency and a public building paid for by, tax by taxpayers to conduct the public business of public officials is most certainly a public record. Even if legal loopholes allow for such an exemption, the greater public interest should supersede any technicalities. Major parts of the original narrative already have fallen apart, including the story that Officer Sicknick was murdered by Trump supporters and the myth that it was an armed insurrection. The full account of what prompted the killing of Ashley Babbitt by an unidentified Capitol cop is still unknown. Furthermore, the Biden regime is weaponizing January 6th to hunt down and destroy the lives of people many of whom committed no violent crimes anywhere near the building that day. The Justice Department is promising to build sedition cases. Biden's intelligence chiefs are operating outside their authorization in their effort to portray regular Americans as domestic terrorists. A president was impeached for his alleged role Republican lawmakers continue to face threats for objecting to the election results in swing states. And millions of Trump voters, by extension, are considered conspiracy theorists and wannabe insurrectionists. There's only one reason why the Justice Department wants to keep the footage under seal. It contradicts most, if not all, of the claims advanced by Democrats and the media since January 6. Republicans, to the extent they can or will, and the media should demand the release of all the footage. Ditto for families of defendants. The American public still doesn't know exactly, exactly what happened on January 6th, and it's clear the government will use any means necessary to keep it that way. Yes, they will. Now, this was Julie Kelly on May 10th of this year over at American Greatness, article entitled, Why is the Government Hiding January 6th Video Footage? And we've learned a lot since then. You see, attorney, the attorney that we played the footage of from the Tucker Carlson show last night, Joseph McBride, has seen several hours of footage of what happened in that tunnel down by the West Terrace and seen police beating an unarmed woman within an inch of her life blood pouring from her head but you can't see that you can't see that they don't want us to see it now why might that be why might that be there's supposed to be uh supposed to be a press conference today about what's going on 
with the January 6th defendants. And we'll see if we can find something out about that. It was going to be um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Louis Gohmert and Paul Gosar and Matt Gates speaking up on behalf of the January 6th detainees. Know what I'm saying? So, we'll see. We'll see. But there is a lot out there that they do not want you to know about. And the question is why? It was set up by the feds. That's number one. Number two, I've already seen video of police at the Capitol on January 6th shooting flashbang grenades and tear gas at peaceful protesters. They don't want you seeing what might have perpetrated a lot of the violence being the actions of government employees. No. They don't want to see that at all. Now, speaking of which, Julie Kelly, in talking about attorney Joseph McBride on with Tucker Carlson last night, she said a motion filed by a press coalition representing 16 major news companies, including New York Times, CNN, Wall Street Journal, joined Attorney McBride's request to unseal three hours of surveillance footage that recorded what happened in the tunnel. Judge wants the DOJ response by Friday. It'll be interesting to see the excuse. And she said, I summarize some of the abuse detailed in a filing on behalf of one January 6 detainee accused of attacking police as they assaulted female Trump supporters. Imagine seeing this on video in real time. Okay, let's take a look at that. Her article from just a few weeks ago, Terror in the Capitol Tunnel. In 2018, after a local news crew filmed Ryan Nichols rescuing dogs abandoned by their owners after Hurricane Florence, the former Marine appeared on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Not only did DeGeneres commend Ryan Nichols' longtime work as a search and rescue volunteer, she donated $25,000 to the Humane Society in his name and gave Ryan and his wife, Bonnie, a $10,000 check to pay for the honeymoon they had missed the year before so Ryan could assist rescue efforts in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. But... Instead of heading to Hawaii, the Nichols used a generous donation to buy a rescue boat. With his Marine buddy and best friend, Alex Harkrider, at his side, 
The pair has participated in dozens of hurricane re- hurricane rescues and disaster relief efforts, according to Joseph McBride, Ryan Nichols' attorney. Three years after his appearance on the Ellen DeGeneres show, Nichols was featured on another program, but this time Nichols spoke from the fetid confines of a political prison in the nation's capital. And instead of telling a heroic story of saving dogs drowning in rising floodwaters, Nichols told Newsmax host Greg Kelly a harrowing tale of what he saw at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Nichols explained to Newsmax's Greg Kelly in a phone interview on November 9th, quote, We showed up in good faith to protest the election results, but never would have imagined we would encounter the horrors that we did on the West Terrace and in the tunnel that day. When I saw a woman being beaten and in distress, my rescue instinct kicked in, and I knew I had no choice but help rescue them, unquote. Nichols' account is detailed in an appalling new court filing that confirms what American greatness has reported for months. On January 6th, D.C. Metro and Capitol Police assaulted nonviolent protesters with explosive devices, rubber bullets, tear gas, and in some cases their own fists and batons. A tunnel in the lower west side of the Capitol building became a dangerous and likely for at least one protester deadly battle scene as police viciously attacked American citizens on the so-called hallowed grounds of the U.S. Congress. Ryan Nichols of Texas has been behind bars since his January 18th arrest. He sits in the D.C. jail specifically used to house January 6th detainees charged along with Harkrider with multiple offenses, including assault of a police officer, civil disorder, and unlawful possession of pepper spray. So what on earth turned two decorated veterans with a history of helping people in crisis into so-called insurrectionists who attacked police officers? It was what they saw when they approached the tunnel around 3 p.m. on January 6th. Attorney McBride wrote in a motion seeking Nichols' release, quote, They hear people screaming in pain and crying for help. Women and old men are bloodied and injured. Training and instincts kick in, and they head to the tunnel, wondering if an accident had happened and if other people were even more seriously injured, unquote. Attorney McBride viewed three hours of surveillance video captured by a Capitol security camera. The extensive system captured at least 14,000 hours of footage that the Justice Department and Capitol Police are desperate to keep away from public view and describe for the first time what happened inside the tunnel where a combination of D.C. and Capitol Police ostensibly were stationed to prevent protesters from entering the building. Here's the quote from Attorney Joseph McBride's filing November 1st. Just after 4 p.m., Ryan is sprayed multiple times by an officer standing on a ledge in the tunnel. He is also separated from a woman who stood next to Ryan at different times at the Western Terrace. She was middle-aged and nice. Ryan promised to keep an eye on her. The woman was wearing a red shirt and a MAGA hat. Shortly thereafter, officers began terrorizing people in and around the tunnel. People are screaming and getting crushed. 
There's a pile of human beings stacked on top of each other at the tunnel entrance. People are trapped, and there's nowhere to go, unquote. Attorney McBride focused on the conduct of one officer in particular with badge number L359 and wearing a white shirt. The unidentified officer begins, quote, to beat a man for no apparent reason and beats the man so badly that the man crawls over to the woman with a MAGA hat, unquote. At this point, according to the security video, the officer turns his sights on the woman. McBride explained, quote, Then for reasons that no fair-minded or decent human being will ever understand, the officer wearing the white shirt turns his attention to the woman and begins to pulverize her. The weapon this officer appears to be using is a collapsible stick designed to break windows in emergency situations. This stick is neither designed nor to be used against another human being, unquote. For the next several minutes, between 4 p.m. and around 4.15 p.m., the officer in the white shirt relentlessly beats the woman. McBride furnished a literal blow-by-blow account in the court document, the time stamp based on a three-hour video clip, not the time of day. And it just goes on and on about him relentlessly beating her. Now, these assaults occurred about 10 minutes before the lifeless body of Roseanne Boyland was seen lying on the ground just outside the tunnel. Most of the violent brawls between police and protesters take place near this tunnel in response to what McBride calls overwhelming police brutality and misconduct. Body-worn camera footage released by the courts and seen in, in a link, Julie Kelly's article links to, show Roseanne Boyland on her side, not moving as her friend, Justin Winchell, begged for help. Winchell tries to scream while holding on to Boyland. She's going to die. He turns to the crowd. I need somebody, anybody. He pleads, she's dead, she's dead. McBride then confirms another report by American Greatness. He said, Roseanne Boyland's body is dragged into the tunnel at 4.30 p.m. and she's never seen again. Julie Kelly says, in September, I reported that according to his congressional testimony, Officer Aquilino Ganell appears to be the person who handled Boylan's body after she died, dragging her inside the building where he is then met by Officer Harry Dunn. Officer Dunn told the January 6th Select Committee in July that he carried an unconscious woman, presumably Boylan, into House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer's office. The D.C. Medical Examiner's office concluded Boyland died of a drug overdose, but that autopsy result is highly suspicious considering the video footage and firsthand accounts of others about what happened to her that afternoon. Future court filings, interviews, and security footage will slowly reveal to the public how law enforcement, beginning around 1 p.m. that day and continuing for hours, attacked and beat American citizens who dared to protest the election of Joe Biden. Further, it will become clear Joe Biden's Justice Department, with compliance by D.C. District Court judges, are keeping several eyewitnesses to the terror in the tunnel, behind bars, awaiting trials, delayed until at least the middle of next year. 
Ryan Nichols' hearing for Bond is set for December 20th, at which point he will have been incarcerated for more than 11 months. He has no court date yet. Much more to come as American greatness continues to expose the truth about January 6th. Now, again, again, there are four members of Congress who seem to be concerned about this. Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, Matt Gates, Florida, Paul Gosar, Arizona, and uh, Louis Gohmert, Texas. No, nobody else. Nobody else seems to be all that bent out of shape about it. I wonder why that is. Let me see. Um, we'll look up Marjorie Taylor Greene here and see if she has anything today. Okay, tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern to watch my press conference with Louis Gohmert, Matt Gates, and Paul Gosar on the two-tiered justice system in America and the release of unusually cruel an eyewitness report from the D.C. jail. Okay, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on that and see uh, see what's going on. But I, I got to... I got to catch you up with a, a, a couple other things here from Julie Kelly because look, here's the deal. If they can steal an election and if they can beat you senseless when all you're doing is trying to express your First Amendment right to peacefully assemble and use your right to free speech, then we don't have a country anymore. Okay? Doc, why are you harping on this? Because they're taking our country away from us. If they can steal an election and then beat you senseless when you're not doing anything wrong, we don't have a country anymore. So let me take a look at uh, Julie Kelly's article from Sunday entitled, Capital Punishment is a January 6th Film You Must See. She says, pre-dawn FBI raids were conducted by dozens of armed agents transported in tactical vehicles to terrorize January 6th protesters and their neighbors. Citizens were ratted on by their friends and colleagues. Families were bankrupted and traumatized by the Biden regime's ongoing crusade to punish hundreds of Americans who protested by his, uh, who protested his unlawful election. People are held behind bars and denied bail based on their political views as trials are delayed far into 2022. And then there was the near point-blank execution of Ashley Babbitt at the hands of a Capitol Police lieutenant who still is praised as a hero by the media and lawmakers of both parties while facing no criminal consequences for his actions that day. These are just a few of the alarming stories 
included in Nick Searcy's exceptional documentary, Capital Punishment. Searcy, an accomplished actor and film producer, traveled around the country for months talking to Americans ensnared in the Justice Department's abusive and punitive investigation into the events at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Interviews include Dr. Simone Gold, Michael Waller, Jack Posobiec, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, and Aaron Babbitt, the widower of Ashley Babbitt. According to producers, access to the documentary is being suppressed by big tech overlords. But you can certainly go to Nick Searcy's website if you want to watch it. And I plan to as soon as I possibly can. All right, uh, coming up, coming up from Julie Kelly, the demonization of Roseanne Boyland begins. And we got to take a look at that. We got to take a look at that. All right, now, speaking of uh, government overreach, speaking of the government trying to... uh, assert their power over you. I want to ask you something. Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your Healthcare more expensive. I think we all know the answer to that, right? Of course it did. Of course it did. Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky high copays keep you from going to the doctor? Are you kind of upset about it? Because obviously it was intentional. Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you need to get a hold of my friend, Art Wilborn. He's got a website called myfamilyhealthplan.com. When you click on that website, the first thing you see in big, bold letters is the term affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, Low to no deductible, no co-pays. Can you believe it? Right under that is a button that you're going to, you're definitely going to want to click, which says schedule call now. Affordable plans save thirty to fifty percent on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, and no co-pays. Does it get any better? Yes, it does get better. As a matter of fact, a couple more things about this. With Art Wilborn's website, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you get an insurance plan that won't insult your morality. It doesn't force you to cover stuff like abortion that would uh, violate your deeply held religious beliefs. Can it get any better? Yes, it can get better. You go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you book a free consultation, and Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Buddy, (laughs) you got to check this out. Save money on your insurance. 
affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no, deduct- low to no deductible, no co-pays, just by going to myfamilyhealthplan.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. Now, I love getting the word out about things to help people. I love having advertisers that help people. That's fantastic. That's why I'm so glad that the Doc Washburn Show is affiliated with my myfamilyhealthplan.com. And Art is getting calls from people in different parts of the country who are really excited about saving money in their insurance. All right. Now, that having been said, that having been said, I got to share with you Julie Kelly's article, this little article that dropped yesterday over at American Greatness called The Demonization of Roseanne Boyland Begins. Subtitle Boyland may not have many defenders at this point, but the truth eventually will do the talking for her. And she says, Yet another lie animating the phony narrative about the events of the Capitol complex on January 6th is about to be exposed. The falsehood that Roseanne Boyland, a Trump supporter from Georgia, died of an accidental drug overdose that day. As American Greatness has reported for months, incriminating video footage and first-hand witness accounts instead support numerous allegations the D.C. Metro and Capitol Police contributed to, if they did not directly cause, Boylan's death in the late afternoon of January 6. Boylan's family reportedly has hired an attorney to investigate the circumstances of, the, of her death at the age of 34. The D.C. Medical Examiner's Office issued a report in April disclosing the cause of death of four Trump supporters who died on January 6th during what the coroner called an unprecedented incident of civil insurrection. It determined Boyland had succumbed to acute amphetamine intoxication. Really? But it's increasingly obvious that the ruling is untrue. The same D.C. medical examiner's office intentionally delayed the results of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick's autopsy, even after confirming Sicknick had died of a stroke caused by blood clots. The coroner, nonetheless, issued the chaos. Pardon me. The, the coroner, nonetheless, insisted the chaos of the Capitol protest played a role in his condition. Now wait a minute. If he died the day after January sixth, a a stroke caused by blood clots. I wonder if the blood clots are caused by a vaccine. Just throw that out there. With the potential release of three hours of security camera footage that recorded exactly what happened inside the Lower West Terrace Tunnel, the location where Boylan died on January 6th, law enforcement officials could face fiery public scrutiny for their behavior that day. It's only a slice of the 14,000 hours of surveillance video captured by the Capitol Police Department's closed-circuit television system that Joe Biden's Justice Department is hiding under protective orders deemed highly sensitive government material. There's good reason why. 
Court filings detail shocking instances of police brutality, including the use of a noxious gas that caused people to vomit and pass out. Beatings by some officers using weapons in their own fists. And at least one officer dragging Boylan's lifeless body face up back through the tunnel to hide it from public view until paramedics arrived. If the footage is released, new questions will be raised about police misconduct and whether the use of suffocating chemical sprays and and excessive force, not a drug overdose, killed Roseanne Boyland. So the media, MSNBC in particular, is of course running cover for Democrats in advance of any bombshell news possibly linking D.C. area police to the death of another unarmed female Trump supporter during the Capitol protest. MSNBC host Amon Moyeldin has produced a five-part podcast called American Radical, which figuratively exhumes Boylan's body and performs a twisted political autopsy in her views and activity leading up to January 6th. Dead men, as Amon Moyeldin knows, tell no tales, nor can they defend themselves against vile hit jobs by careerist left-wing activists disguised as journalists. Moyeldin, who immigrated to the United States from Egypt as a child, has found himself in hot water on a number of occasions after making inflammatory comments on air, such as accusing the late Chris Kyle, a decorated Navy SEAL, an expert sniper of being a racist, and for erroneously reporting that a Palestinian was unarmed when he was shot by Israeli police. Well, see, lying doesn't get you in trouble at MSNBC. It's kind of like a, a resume enhancer, right? I mean, they kept Brian Williams for years, right? Anyway, having covered global terrorism for NBC News and Al Jazeera for two decades, Amen Moyeldin boasts that he is using his expertise to analyze the motives of a deceased Donald Trump supporter. In his first episode, Who Killed Roseanne Boyland? Moyeldin compares Boyland to an international terrorist. Takes one to know one, pal. Well, he worked for Al Jazeera, Osama bin Laden's favorite network, right? Anyway, MSNBC's message is that Roseanne Boyland, an alleged domestic terrorist radicalized by Donald Trump and other nefarious influences, deserved her fate. This, by the way, is the same media playbook immediately employed in the aftermath of the killing of Ashley Babbitt by Lieutenant Michael Byrd on January 6th. Coincidentally, Moyeldon, with a high school in Boylan's hometown of Kennesaw, Georgia. A few days after the Capitol protest, Boylan's brother-in-law contacted Moyeldon, a former classmate, via Facebook message. Justin Cave, husband of Lana, Roseanne Boylan's sister, wrote to Moyeldon on January 9th, my wife and I believe she was radicalized in a very short time inside of six months Would you like to hear her story? Oh, my. Justin Cave, a former host on HGTV, gave a statement the day after Boylan died, claiming the president's words and rhetoric incited a riot Wednesday that killed four of his biggest fans and said Trump should be removed under the 25th Amendment. On January 9th, 11 days before he's going to leave office anyway. 
It's difficult to understand why Boylan's family, including her sisters and both parents, participate in such a vile hit job. Please instruct your loved ones right now not to solicit MSNBC activists to write your post-mortem. But Moyeldon's work, apart from getting the woman's family to betray her memory, consists of knitting together random comments and observations to paint a sinister profile of someone whose family members otherwise describe as an attentive, affectionate, generous, and kind young woman rebuilding her life seven years after kicking her addiction problems. MSNBC's Moyeldon warns, this is American radical, the story of how one woman became a foot soldier in one of the most dangerous movements in America. He's referring to something called QAnon, an online cult centered around an unknown source known as Q, who allegedly had an inside track to Trump's White House. Now, QAnon adherents believe powerful pedophiles in government in Hollywood run global child sex trafficking rings and that Trump eventually would expose them all. The corporate left-wing media blames QAnon for promoting any number of so-called conspiracy theories, including the idea that the 2020 election was rigged. A reality, by the way, confirmed in February in a long expose published by Time magazine. Moyeldon not only cites Boylan's alleged fascination with QAnon as evidence of her radicalization, but also her sudden support of Donald Trump in 2020 and, of course, her new interest in watching Fox News. Her younger sister told Moyeldon that Roseanne Boylan's transformation happened so quickly, going from being a totally apolitical person to dying for Trump. Perhaps we can write off Roseanne Boylan's sister's inflammatory remark to the haze that comes in the wake of anger and grief It's unclear when the interview took place, and the family is now demanding answers about exactly what happened. There's no question, however, that the media is running with that vicious narrative. Roseanne Boyland, according to shameless propagandists like Amen Moyeldon and his NBC News handlers, deserve to die, in their opinion. She's not entitled to compassion. Her death should not fuel public outrage or sympathy as far as they're concerned. When the full circumstances of her tragic death are revealed, including the direct involvement of dirty cops, the corporate media will instruct their own cult-like followers to justify her killing at the hands of police. Celebrity cops who inhumanely handled her body in an attempt to conceal the evidence still will be praised as heroes. Members of the January 6th Select Committee and the U.S. House of Representatives will ignore the scandal. Republicans in Congress, again, will remain silent in the face of more government malfeasance tied to the Capitol protests. Roseanne Boyland is a victim, and not of Donald Trump or QAnon. She's a victim of the left's insatiable bloodlust for Trump supporters. The Democrat Party's propaganda organ, otherwise known as the national news media, and sadly even her own family, who seemed at the time desperate to distance themselves from the political views of their maligned loved one. Amen Moyeldon at MSNBC says he knows who killed Roseanne Boyland. The title of his first episode is A Ruse, a way to brainwash his audience into accepting his conspiracy theories that place blame on everyone except the guilty parties. Boyland may not have many defenders at this point, but the truth 
eventually will do the talking for her. And MSNBC's contemptible smear campaign against her is the clearest proof yet that they know the truth is coming. Again, the great Julie Kelly, American Greatness, the article entitled The Demonization of Roseanne Boyland begins. I got to tell you, they'll stop at nothing. They'll stop at nothing. And it's, it's, it's troubling. It's troubling. Now, I think, I think we need to look at uh, what's going on with the uh, with the great journalist Laura Logan. She apparently has been kicked off of Fox News for comparing Anthony Fauci to Dr. Joseph Mengele. So Let's hear what she said. Why don't we? Why don't we hear what she said? It's about 44 seconds long. And so in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, the the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. And I am talking about people all across the world are saying this because the response from COVID, what it has done to countries everywhere, what it has done to civil liberties, the suicide rates, the poverty, it has obliterated economies, the level of suffering that has been created because of this disease is now being seen in the cold light of day, i.e. the truth. And people see that there's no justification for what is being done. Okay. Okay. So that apparently was enough to get her kicked off Fox News. uh, I'm reminded of a verse out of uh, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Have I now become your enemy for telling you the truth? Look, here's the deal. Fauci has blood on his hands. No two ways around it. Fauci has blood on his hands. Fauci lied under oath. Numerous occasions. Denying the fact. Denying the fact that his agency funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. What is gain-of-function research? 
it is making the virus more infectious, making it easier for the virus to jump from one species to another. Fauci, this whole time, has discouraged the use of things that work. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Fauci, this whole time, has, well, he's contradicted himself many times, but this whole thing about forcing two-year-olds to wear masks, right? Fauci's agency gave money to uh, researchers in Morocco to do experiments on beagle puppies. They would drug them, put them on their sides, and have their heads inside inside these partitioned off spaces where they would put hungry uh, sand flies that would basically torture them to death. The hungry sand flies would be uh, biting the beagles' faces. You can't tell me Fauci's not like Mengele. Fauci's agency gave millions to the University of Pittsburgh to uh, take organs out of uh, aborted babies. The paperwork says up to 42 weeks. No, I thought 40 weeks is when we deliver, but it said up to 42 weeks. You can't tell me Fauci's not like Mingala. So Fauci is an evil guy. And anybody saying he's not like Mingala is not paying attention. Is not paying attention. But, but, Laura Logan disappears from Fox News. Just like, if I may, just like what they did to my buddy Todd Starnes. A few years ago, Todd Starnes was actually nationally syndicated talk radio host on Fox News Radio. He interviewed Dr. Robert Jeffress, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, who said the Democrat Party had the spirit of Molech. Now, Molech was this idol in the Old Testament that people would sacrifice their babies to. And, of course, to run for office as a Democrat, you have to support abortion, you have to support Planned Parenthood, same thing. But since Todd Starnes did not rebuke or correct the pastor who said the Democrat Party had the spirit of Molech, Fox News Radio got rid of Todd Starnes because I guess he was too Christian for Fox News. Now, I don't know what Laura Logan's uh, religious beliefs are, but I do know. I do know she told the truth.
I do know she told the truth about Fauci. Let's see what we got here. UK Daily Mail says Fox business anchor Liz Clayman blasts fellow network star Laura Logan in scathing Twitter thread for comparing Dr. Fauci to infamous Nazi angel of death torturer Joseph Mengele. Jewish host says Dayanu. That's Hebrew for enough. No, she's got the uh, First Amendment right to free speech. And I appreciate the fact she's telling the truth. Okay, so what does it say here? Fox business anchor Liz Clayman has ripped Laura Logan, who stars in a series of Fox Nation over controversial remarks comparing Dr. Anthony Fauci to Nazi concentration camp torturer Joseph Mengele. Logan was taking part in a discussion of Fox News primetime on Monday when she claimed Fauci represents Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. Laura Logan has not appeared on Fox News primetime or any other Fox News show since the controversial remark and is not directly employed by Fox, which licenses her Fox Nation series from Warm Springs Productions. Liz Clayman, who anchors a weekday slot leading up to the closing bell over on Fox Business Network, did not mention Logan by name in a series of blistering tweets on Sunday, but was clearly referencing the recent controversy. Now, wait a minute. Laura Logan said it on Monday, but Liz Clayman tweeted about it on Sunday? What was it, the, the previous Monday? And she waited six days? I don't know, man. Liz Clayman, who is Jewish, wrote, let's stop with any comparison to Mengele. Facts need to be stated. Nazi Joseph Mengele performed experiments on Jewish twins, personally killed 14 twins in one night by injecting their hearts with chloroform. Clayman went on to detail some of the horrifying crimes that witnesses have ascribed to Mengele when he worked at the Auschwitz death camp, including deranged attempts to create conjoined twins by sewing identical twins together. Fauci, who is usurper Joe Biden's top pandemic advisor. No, I I won't say the word president in front of Joe. Uh Uh-uh. Fauci, who is usurper Joe Biden's top pandemic advisor, has also responded to Logan's remarks comparing him to Mengele. Speaking to MSNBC host Chris Hayes Thursday night, Fauci called on Fox to take disciplinary action against the journalist. Fauci, 80, fumed on Hayes' primetime political commentary program All In. It's an insult to all of the people who suffered and died under the Nazi regime and the concentration camps. I mean, it's unconscionable what she said. The irate immunologist continued, What I find striking, Chris, as how she gets the discipline, as how she gets no discipline whatsoever from the Fox network. How they can let her say that with no comment and no disciplinary action, I'm astounded by that. Because it's true, pal. It's true. 50-year-old Laura Logan hosts a series on the online subscription service Fox Nation, frequently appears on the flagship network's Fox News primetime 
where she made her controversial remarks. In a conversation with Pete Hegseth, a known critic of coronavirus vaccine mandates and masking policies, Laura Logan accused the Biden administration of overhyping the still largely unknown strain. During the Monday night discussion, I guess this is Monday last week, Laura Logan declared there's no justification for putting people out of their jobs or forcing mandates for a disease that's ultimately very treatable. It's cheap to treat. Medicines are available all over the world and has death rates that compare very much to seasonal flu. The South African journalist who joined Fox last year then set her sights on Fauci and made the contentious comparison. Quote, in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, what people say to me is that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War in the concentration camps. I'm talking about people all across the world who are saying this. She continued the response from COVID. What it has done to countries everywhere? What has done to civil liberties? The suicide rates? The poverty? It has obliterated economies. The level of suffering that has been created because of this disease is now being seen in the cold light of day, i.e. the truth, and people see that there is no justification for what is being done. UK Daily Mail says, Logan's rant drawing parallels between the long-serving director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the Nazi doctor dubbed the Angel of Death coincided with the second night of Hanukkah, a major Jewish festival. Jewish organizations around the world were quick to condemn Logan with the Auschwitz Memorial in Poland accusing the TV presenter of exploit. That's, that's a British term. That means she's on the television. They call her presenter. Of exploiting the tragedy of people who became victims of criminal pseudo-medical experiments in Auschwitz in a debate about vaccines. Pandemic and people who fight for saving human lives is shameful. Okay, exploiting the tragedy of people who became victims of criminal pseudo-medical experiments. Criminal pseudo-medical experiments. Really? So, So that's where you want to go with this. Criminal... Pseudo medical experiments. Really? Now, that's interesting because it was just yesterday that we played audio from the former chief medical officer of Pfizer saying that uh, some of the vaccines have, have caused death. Not Pfizer's, but the other, the other companies. Didn't we play that just yesterday? And you come to me saying Fauci's not like Mengele because Mengele had victims of criminal pseudo-medical experiments? I mean, they're a... 
they're still they're still doing the uh, the, the patient trials. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? Still. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Have I now become your enemy for telling you the truth? Fauci's got blood on his hands just like Mengele did. Fauci insisting the two year olds have to be masked. Fauci insisting the five year olds need to get vaccinated. I don't want to hear it, man. I don't want to hear anybody condemning Laura Logan for telling the truth. No. No. No, you're outraged? No, I'm outraged. You're outraged? I'm outraged. I'm reminded... I'm reminded of something Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said recently. His dad told him and his siblings when they were little. Bobby Kennedy told him, you need to decide whether you would be the kind of person to hide Anne Frank or you'd be the kind of person to turn in the people who are hiding Anne Frank, all right? All right, I got I to get a sip of water here. Thanks for listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Many of you have asked, how can we help support the show? Really easy. Go to DocWashburnShow.com and click Become a Patron at the top right corner of the website or click the Podbean logo where it says, Be My Patron on Podbean. We sure do appreciate your support of the Doc Washburn Show. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. That's uh, it's really troubling. We'll, uh, we'll have to try to get Laura Logan on the show. You know? We'll have to try to get Laura Logan on the show because um, people are willing to put it all on the line to tell the truth need to be supported. Need to be supported. I'll never forget, for the rest of my life, the support I got from Dan Bongino, who had me on his show November 5th to talk about how Cumulus Media fired me for being unwilling to take that experimental vaccine because of my religious objections to it. Took a lot of guts. Dan Bongino, of course, syndicated by a company owned by the same company that fired me. Took a lot of guts. All right, let's go over to Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org. Well-structured German study shows no deaths among healthy German kids aged 5 to 11. But Fauci... Dr. Anthony Mengele Fauci insists five-year-olds need to be vaccinated. 
and, and you come to me saying, uh, saying he's not like Mingala because Mingala's victims were victims of criminal pseudo-medical experiments. Well, that is the that is the similarity, isn't it? That is the similarity. All right, let's take a look at this. There's a new study out now from Germany. Vinny Prasad over at Brownstone Institute says, allow me to give you the highlights. The authors begin by noting there's uncertainty around the absolute risks of COVID to kids. Often people divide kids about bad outcomes by kids who present to the healthcare system, but this will always exaggerate risk as it does not include all the kids whose symptoms are so mild they don't seek health care. In other words, the denominator is smaller than the real denominator. Side note, the studies that claim COVID-19 has more myocarditis than vaccination also suffer from this error. The German authors go on to do it the right way. They combine seroprevalence data with data on bad outcomes in kids. They divide kids with bad outcomes by kids who had COVID-19. I'm tempted to say this is amazing, but the truth is this paper is doing a very basic and obvious thing. The papers people cite instead are flawed. Here's what we find for healthy kids with COVID. <clears throat> for healthy kids, the risk of going to the hospital is just 51 per 100,000. For healthy kids, the risk of going to the ICU is just 8 per 100,000. For healthy kids, the risk of death is just 3 per 100,000 with no deaths reported in kids older than 5. Kids 5 to 11 have a lower risk than kids under 5 and adolescents 12 to 17. Kids 5 to 11 have a risk of going to the ICU of just 2 in 100,000 and zero died. Among kids who died of COVID-19, 38% were already on palliative or hospice care. So what's the takeaway? May of 2021, Wes Pegden, Steph Barrell, and the author of this one, argued in the British Medical Journal that kids' vaccination should proceed via biological licensing agreement pathway and not the emergency use authorization because these risks were so low, we must demand robust evidence and large trials to show that the potential benefits of vaccination outweigh potential harms. The benefits at best are going to be very small. What is lower than three per million? So even rare safety signals can tip the scale. We wanted large randomized trials. Our plea may have affected the UK, which is not vaccinating kids 5 to 11 due to uncertainty and may have helped the FDA expand the sample size of the trial. Then Gruber and Krauss at FDA resigned and the emergency use authorization was granted. And yeah, they linked to their article, the British Medical Journal from May 7th, COVID vaccines for children should not get emergency use authorization. Oh, but Fauci sure wants it. Fauci sure wants it. 
And you come to me. You come to me saying there's something wrong with Laura Logan for comparing Fauci to Mengele because Mengele, Mengele's victims were victims of criminal pseudo-medical experiments. That's what Fauci's victims are too. Laura Logan told the truth. I'm proud of her. Took a lot of guts. It did. Took a lot of guts. Yeah. Um, no, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for coming down on her. All you're trying to do, all you're trying to do is nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and let the Democrats know that you're really on their side. You're really on their side. You know? Like uh, like a lot of rhinos do on a regular basis, right? They don't they don't really they don't really want to uh, be thought of as being one of those wild-eyed conservatives, right? Wink, wink. Okay? That's what's going on here. That is what's going on here. All right, now, there's a remarkable commentary remarkable commentary from a doctor in South Africa that I uh, I need to share with you so I guess I guess this would be as, as good time as any before I forget. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. Your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. RedRiverYourWay.com, sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day. All right, the Tweet of the Day is from Tom Elliott. And he's a big old journalist out there, founder of Grabian, the pub, news list, and biospa. And his tweet, he says, probably everyone, everyone's already seen this, but just in case. And he's got this op-ed from this doctor out of South Africa. She's the chair of the South African Medical Association. Here's what she says. As chair of the South African 
Medical Association and a general practitioner of 33 years standing. I've seen a lot over my medical career. But nothing has prepared me for the extraordinary global reaction that met my announcement this week that I had seen a young man in my surgery who had a case of COVID that turned out to be the Omicron variant. This version of the virus had been circulating in southern Africa for some time, having been previously identified in the country of Botswana. But given my public-facing role, by announcing its presence in my own patient, I unwittingly brought it to global attention. Quite simply, I've been stunned at the response, and especially from Britain. And let me be clear, nothing I've seen about this new variant warrants the extreme action the UK government has taken in response to it. No one here in South Africa is known to have been hospitalized with the Omicron variant, nor is anyone here believed to have fallen seriously ill with it. Yet Britain and other European nations have reacted with heavy travel restrictions on flights from across Southern Africa, as well as imposing tighter rules at home on mask wearing, fines, and extended quarantines. The simple truth is, we don't know yet anywhere near enough about Omicron to make such judgments or to impose such policies. In South Africa, we've retained a sense of perspective. We've had no new regulations or talk of lockdowns because we're waiting to see what the variant actually means. We've also become accustomed here to new COVID variants emerging. So when our scientists confirmed the discovery of yet another, Nobody made a huge thing of it. Many people didn't even notice. But after Britain heard about it, the global picture started to change. Even as our scientists tried to point out the huge gaps in the world's knowledge about this variant, European nations immediately and unilaterally banned travel from this part of the world. Our government was understandably angered by this, pointing out that Excellent science should be applauded, not punished. If, as some evidence suggests, Omicron turns out to be a fast-spreading virus with mostly mild symptoms for the majority of the people who catch it, that would be a useful step on the road to herd immunity. We'll learn in the next two weeks if that's the case. The worst situation, of course, will be a fast-spreading virus with severe infections. But that's not where we are at the moment. She says, here in South Africa, what I and my general practitioner colleagues are seeing doesn't in any way warrant the knee-jerk reaction we've seen from the UK. For one thing, we're not, at least for now, treating patients who are severely ill. Take my first Omicron case, the young man I mentioned earlier. It didn't occur to him that he had COVID. He thought he'd had too much sun after working outside. After he tested positive, so did his wife and four-month-old baby. So far, the patients who've tested positive for Omicron here have been mainly young men, a mixture of vaccinated and unvaccinated. Though in our statistics, unvaccinated can also mean just single vaccinated. Only yesterday, I saw five more patients who had tested positive for the new variant. They all had a very mild illness. So at the moment... I'm afraid it seems to me that Britain is merely hyping up the alarm about this variant unnecessarily. Well, she must have done this before Biden called for the uh, 
travel bans because obviously he's doing the same thing. She says, yes, the picture might one day look different. I've yet to see older, unvaccinated people infected with a new variant, for example, and they might well present with a more severe form of the disease. But the reality is that COVID is something we have to learn to live with. Look after yourselves and get your vaccines. Above all, don't panic. And that goes for government as well. Well, she did a great job there, a great job until the next to last sentence where she says, get your vaccines because everybody with this new variant is already vaccinated. Come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a break. Anyway, um, that's the tweet of the day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. And they are the car dealership that believes in freedom. You can buy your car, truck, van, or SUV online the way you want to. And they'll drive it to your front door. No matter where you live. All over the country. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right, now that having been said, this is an odd one. Wall Street Journal today, an article called Gigi Sohn's Strange Bedfellows, subtitle, OAN and Newsmax push a left-wing nominee who targets conservatives. Now, wait a minute. I thought everybody always told me that One American News and Newsmax, that's uh, they're your, your true blue conservative network. So what's going on with this? Wall Street Journal editorial board says, does a progressive activist who wants to weaken copyright and speech protections belong in the Federal Communications Commission? Well, usurper Biden thinks so. No, I'm not going to say president in front of his name. Usurper Biden thinks so. And bizarrely, so do the leaders of conservative Newsmax media and One American News Network. What? Find out why in a minute. Biden's FCC nominee, Gigi Sohn, that's S-O-H-N, was grilled during her Senate committee, Senate, during her Senate Commerce Committee confirmation hearing last week about her fiercely partisan statements that we highlighted in an editorial last month. She has lambasted Fox News as state-sponsored propaganda and suggested that Sinclair Broadcast Group's license should be yanked. Wall Street Journal editorial board here says we have a weekend TV show on Fox News and our owner, News Corp, shares common ownership with Fox Corporation. But those words from Gigi Sohn about uh, Fox News being state-sponsored propaganda and Sinclair Broadcasting Group's license should be yanked. She assured senators those words were part of her job as a public interest advocate and will have no bearing on how I behave as a policymaker if I'm confirmed. Attacking conservative media and tweeting that Republicans are trying to suppress the vote or that Brett Kavanaugh is an angry white man not, is not public interest advocacy, 
but at least she made those statements while in private life. The problem with her nomination is her statist regulatory ambition. As a counselor to Obama FCC chair, Tom Wheeler, Ms. Sohn drove net neutrality regulation that classified broadband providers as common carriers under Title II of the Communications Act of 1934. The Trump FCC repealed the Obama-era regulation after it shilled broadband investment. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema wrote a 2019 op-ed with Mississippi's Roger Wicker that the Sohn-Wheeler rules did not benefit consumers when applied to today's Internet. They, used a, they urged a bipartisan legislative compromise. At the hearing, Democrat Senator Kirsten Sinema asked the nominee if she would prefer that Congress pass legislation. Ms. Sohn replied, yes, but we cannot leave an essential service such as broadband without oversight. If necessary, the FCC will have to go to Title II. She added that Congress would have a year or so to pass legislation before the FCC reimposes Title II regulation. So there, Senator Sinema, pass legislation now or Ms. Gigi Sohn will make the FCC a de facto Senate. Now, Ms. Sohn was also asked about her time on the board of this so-called nonprofit called Locast, a streaming app that captured and retransmitted local broadcast signals over the Internet without broadcasters' permission. Lowcast exploited a copyright loophole for nonprofits to pirate content. Instead of charging a fee, Lowcast solicited donations to support and expand its business. Four broadcasting networks sued. A federal judge this fall deemed Lowcast's business model illegal and ordered it to stop operating. But Ms. Gigi Sohn said she had no hard feelings toward the broadcasters just because they sued Lowcast she was on the board of. Okay, but her involvement in Locast shows her disregard for intellectual property. At the FCC, she also backed regulations to open up cable set top boxes, which would have allowed Google and Amazon to broadcast programs that cable providers pay to distribute. Oh, boy. All of this makes her endorsements by Newsmax CEO Chris Ruddy and One American News President Charles Herring perplexing. In a statement supporting Ms. Gigi Sohn, Chris Ruddy said Newsmax is being sidelined in favor of a small number of mega corporations who dominate the channel lineups. One American News President Charles Herring hailed Gigi Sohn's commitment to what he called diversity in media. Now, these two top executives may be hoping Gigi Sohn will target Sinclair Broadcasting, will target Fox News. But as an odd sort of conservative who supports a left-wing nominee who wants to be a speech regulator, cable networks don't ignore channels they think will be popular, and it isn't government's job to dictate which channels to take for what it's worth, One American News' biggest cheerleader is Donald Trump, who's tried to drive his political supporters to the network. The One American News, Newsmax position, is pure self-interest, has nothing to do with free speech or media diversity. Ms. Gigi Sohn has shown across her career that she wants less 
political diversity on the airwaves. She would be a polarizing and destructive commissioner at the FCC. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Wall Street Journal. Finally, 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 somebody, somebody is standing up and speaking some inconvenient truths. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? Yeah, yeah, look. I did live endorsement commercials for Newsmax for several months when I was at the uh, local talk radio show in, uh, in Little Rock. There's no way in the world I could have read that Wall Street Journal editorial over there. No way. No way. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, uh, Paul Gosar, and Louis Gohmert are doing a uh, press conference. A press conference about the treatment of the January 6th detainees. Um, I wonder if we maybe dip into that and see what's going on here. Let's see. Yeah, we're going to send subpoenas. We're going to conduct real oversight. We're going to show up in person and get answers. The notion that Republicans are going to take control of the House and we're going to hold hands in the warm spring rain with the Democrats and legislate is ludicrous. We have to make promises to our voters to get answers to these questions that we hear in our towns and in our communities. And when we get the power back, that ought to be our organizing principle. And this document that Congresswoman Green and Mr. Gro and Congressman Gohmert led in preparing ought to be a guidepost in that effort. Can I just and it, that real quick? Yeah, sure. Well, at this rate, I don't know that too many members of the January 6th committee are going to be back, but we'll see. Yes, sir. We're listening to Matt Gates here at the press conference out of Pensacola, Florida. I would. I have. Oh, I keep my conversations with the former president uh, between the two of us. Yes. Question for Marjorie Taylor Greene. I guess she's going to step up the microphone here. Who has been air sprayed in their eyes and were blinded by many of these January 6th defendants that you are now drawing uh, attention to. I don't remember you holding a press conference about the treatment of the unusually cruel treatment of Capitol Police officers. Uh, you may not remember a particular press conference about police officers, but I have made many public statements and cried out against all violence against police officers for the BLM. Yes, for yes, for the police, specifically Capitol Police here. Congressman Gohmert sponsored a bill that I co-sponsored along with him, wanting to give, uh, you know, medals of honor, wanted to award them for how they were treated during the January 6th, right? But also extend it to police officers all across the country. I'm not going to separate them. I, I am very supportive of our, of our police, and I have consistently denounced the violence here. So do not go down that route. That would be completely unwarranted. I think another thing that we need to talk about is the January 6th committee, their unconstitutional um bounds that they are completely crossing, wanting to get records of telecommunication from telecommunications companies, bank records of people so they can continue to politically um, 
do this warfare that they're waging on Republicans, but yet they're unwilling to go to the D.C. jail. They're unwilling to, to release videotapes. They're unwilling to talk about the real things that happened that day. They just want to extend it to keep on attacking Trump, keep on attacking President Trump, because they're so filled with Trump derangement syndrome, and they need something to cover up the fact that Joe Biden's administration and the failures of the Democrats are destroying our country right now. So I think the best thing that the January 6th committee should do is they should take a tour of the D.C. jail and they should go look at the conditions that are happening there and then, you know, talk to more police officers, talk to talk to people, witnesses that were there that day and release all the video. Because if we release all the video, then there's no speculation or guessing. It's all there for everyone to see. And that's how this nation can heal when we are able to look at the truth. And let me just let me respond to that as well. I've made clear that when it comes to anyone who did violence mm -hmm. on a Capitol Police or any law enforcement here, mm -hmm. that I would have no problem sentencing them and I would sentence them to incarceration. Mm -hmm. That is serious. But when somebody is in pretrial confinement, it's very important we don't confuse punishment that comes after conviction with pretrial confinement, where the jailers get to make their own pronouncements of guilt and then carry out punishment. If we are going to have an orderly society, you betcha, I believe in punishing people who assault members of law enforcement. I have, I will, I've sent people to prison for long periods of time. But if we confuse the pretrial detention with post-trial punishment, then our system is hopelessly lost. And that's why we're raising candidates. We are here because we want to salvage the system. Great word there from Louis Gohmert. Good deal. All right. Um, we'll take a look at, um, we'll take a look at, at more of that uh, and, and maybe bring you some more audio from that, uh, from that tomorrow. Uh, the press conference with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, Matt Gates and uh, and Paul Gosar about the treatment about the treatment of the January sixth defendants at the uh, at the DC jail. It's outrageous. It's outrageous how they're being treated, and it's outrageous that nobody else will speak up for them. Nobody else will speak up for them. It's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. All right. Um. <clears throat> Before we get out of here, the great Daniel Horowitz over the blaze has an article out today, the country that succeeded against COVID with masks has the highest case rate in the world. Now, they don't want you to know about this, do they? No, they don't. He says, those who believe in the freedom of bodily autonomy are celebrating a slew of recent court rulings and joining the Biden administration's injection mandate. However, no Republican state attorney general has bothered to fight the equally immoral, illogical, and inhumane mask mandates that are still in place. Despite nearly two years of evidence, a strict mask wearing has zero effectiveness in stopping the spread. The mandates on two-year-olds on planes and in many schools 
still continue. The country of Slovakia is a perfect case study of the mask mendacity. Now, in case you don't know, mendacity is a polite term for BS. On May 13th last year, the Atlantic Magazine published an article lauding Slovakia for, at the time, having the lowest per capita COVID death rate in Europe. The article's prediction should now be the laughing stock of the world. Here's what they predicted. They said when this pandemic ends, and when the reckoning over how the world responded invariably begins, Slovakia will likely be among those highlighted as a success story. Whereas the United States, which was supposed to be the country best prepared for such a crisis, will be remembered as among those that suffered the worst. How Slovakia was able to flatten its curve comes down to more than just quick decision-making and the widespread adoption of face masks. Perhaps the greatest lesson to be learned from Slovakia is of the value of leading from the front. Okay? Now, Slovakia was so worried about masks that the country even got Taiwan to donate hundreds of thousands of these useless cloths as part of a bilateral trade agreement. Well, that was before Slovakia's first winter wave. One can excuse people for mistaking low spread at the time for mask efficacy rather than the fact that the country just didn't get its turn yet. But for countries to continue this inhumane mandate, despite what we know now, demonstrates that masks are not a means to public health, but an end in themselves of tyranny. At over 2,000 new cases per million per day, according to our world in data, Slovakia now has more cases per capita than any country in the world. To put this in perspective, that's almost three times the level of the winter peak in the U.S., a country that has not exactly performed well in the pandemic. It's true that some individual states closer to the size of Slovakia have had more severe waves. However, even the worst countries in the upper Midwest, pardon me, however, even the worst counties in the upper Midwest are tracking about 1,200 new cases per million per day. And here's the epidemiological curve presented by the inimitable Ian Miller juxtaposed to policy solutions. And we see that recently, it's been going through the roof in Slovakia. Now leads the world in case rate, which is odd because the Atlantic last year said that when this pandemic ends, Slovakia will likely be among those highlighted as a success story due to their commitment to masking and lockdowns. Wonderful we'll getting updates on that. It's not just Slovakia. Wherever you turn in Europe, both masks and vaccine mandates have failed miserably, and the spread is now worse than ever. Belgium is now six weeks into the new mask mandate and has more cases than ever before, even though the Belgians already suffered one of the deadliest waves in all of Europe. Oh, and 87.4% of adults in Belgium are vaccinated. Now, to begin with, as late as May 2020, the CDC was citing the 10 randomized controlled trials that showed, quote, no significant reduction in influenza transmission with the use of face masks, unquote. The Center for Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford also summarized six international studies that showed that masks alone have no significant effect in interrupting the spread 
of ILI or influenza in the general population nor in healthcare workers. The only randomized controlled trial studying mask efficacy against COVID published last year was an now famous Danish study that failed to show any meaningful reduction in spread from mask wearing. Then several months ago, the media trumpeted a large study done in Bangladesh that seemed to show efficacy. Well, now that the authors have released the actual data, we see that, in, that indeed no such claim can be made from the study. It turns out that out of over 340,000 individuals over a span of eight weeks, there are only 20 fewer cases of COVID detected in the mass group over the control group. So over 1,100 symptomatic individuals confirmed seropositive in the control group and almost 1,100 such, as, such individuals in the treatment group. Even these results are hard to interpret because of numerous confounding factors. University of California Berkeley professor Ben Recht critiqued the study as, as follows. He said the study was not blinded, as it's impossible to blind a study on masks. The intervention was highly complex and included a mask promotion campaign and education about other mitigation measures, including social distancing. Moreover, individuals were only added to the study if they consented to allow the researchers to visit and survey their households. There's a large differential between the control and treatment groups here with 95% consenting in the treatment group, but only 92% consenting in the control group. This differential alone could wash away the difference in observed cases. Finally, symptomatic seropositivity is a crude measure of COVID as the individuals could have been infected before the trial began. Given the numerous caveats and confounders, the study still only found a tiny effect size. My takeaway is that a complex intervention, including an educational program, free masks, encouraged mask wearing, and surveillance in a poor country with low population immunity and no vaccination showed at best modest reduction in infection. So, in other words, you can now add this to a list of 400 studies compiled by the Brownstone Institute that failed to find any correlation between public policy interventions and better pandemic outcomes. It's not okay for Republican-controlled states to continue to ignore the, fa the facts that masks are inhumane and they simply don't work. Consider the fact that Head Start, the Head Start program, has now mandated masks on two-year-olds many of whom have special needs. Oregon, the state of Oregon, has moved to make its mask mandate permanent. Why are no red state governments at least suing against the federal mandates, and why are so few red states even banning mask mandates within the states? The courts are all political. They only responded to the lawsuits against the vaccine mandate when they saw robust political opposition within the political branches of the red states. They see no such opposition regarding the mask mandates. Thus, absent a unified effort from state attorneys general, they're unlikely to respond to a handful of individual lawsuits. The same legal rationale denying the feds the power to force vaccines also denies them the power to cover our breathing holes. But the courts only respond to political momentum. If nearly two years of masking Failing to work anywhere is still not enough to end the most invasive human mandate of all time. Then we truly are no longer a free people. Amen, brother. Amen. As Daniel Horowitz over the blaze, the article is entitled, The Country That Succeeded 
against COVID with masks has the highest case rate in the world. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, each day, I'm thankful that the Lord has opened the door for me to do this podcast, this live stream and podcast. And each day, I'm thankful for you, and I appreciate you. So let me just say, you've been listening to episode 40 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's program will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, December 7th, 2021.